This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Morning again. Uh, welcome everybody online who's just joined us, and it's a pleasure to welcome back Heather Martin to Austin Zen Center. She's no stranger to Austin Zen Center, especially folks that have been around for a while. She's practiced here, San Antonio, and other realms. She is, as I mentioned before, a uh, lay and trusted teacher in our lineage, and she's also a parent, and she is a registered dietitian and a freelance writer, and she blogs under the rubric of Mom of No Rank. <laughs> so you get a taste, so to speak, of her, of her writing there. And uh, as uh, I also mentioned before, her topic uh, or her title today is Hell is Other People. And every time I've announced this talk for the last couple of weeks now, it has gotten a chuckle, mm. a kind of chuckle of recognition. <laughs> so uh, thank you for coming. And it's my uh, pleasure. San Marcos and braving <coughs> South By's traffic. And, uh, I came up 1626. Smart. Reason, <laughs> yeah. The blue bonnets were it's my primary motivation. Yes. Yes. I was well rewarded. Thank you for having me. It's it's lovely to be here. Taro uh, mentioned that I'm a, a freelance writer, among other things. And I've had a piece commissioned uh, that's... I was happy to accept the assignment, but it's really weighing. It's very difficult to write. And uh, the editor wanted a piece on uh, Texas women who feel conflict living here uh, with laws and policies that are harmful, that they feel are harmful. And so I've done about a dozen interviews, and they are heartrending. I had no idea. I did have an idea. I just didn't think that that would be all. And so um, this topic is, it's funny, you know, when you hear that phrase, I, I see it on a bumper sticker sometimes. And I always think it's funny, but uh, there's a layer to it for just me personally talking to these women. Uh, and uh, most of what they're telling me is not going to go in the piece. Um, it's too personal. It's on background. But um, I can feel it in my body. And I think this topic is also on my mind because of the weather. Because hell has been freezing over on a regular basis every year lately. Which is very strange uh, for me. As a native Texan, the, the weather is odd. And for some reason, um, the heat, you know, they, we talk about global warming. But what stands out to me most is these uh, freezing, the variability is so odd, it's difficult to garden. Much more than it used to be here. So those things are on my mind. You know, although the title refers to a play uh, called No Exit, I, I want to t 
talk about a koan, case 12, from the Gateless Gate. It's called Zwigan Calls Himself Master. So in case uh, you're not familiar with it, Zwigan called out to himself every day, Master. And then he would answer, Yes, sir. And then he would say, Wake up, wake up. And he would answer himself, Yes, sir. (laughs) And from now on, Don't be fooled by others. And again, he would answer himself, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the the Gateless Gate is a collection of uh, koans put together in the 1200s, I think. Somebody might know better than me. By a monk named Mumon. So in Japanese, it's Mumon-kan. And uh, Mumon means uh, uh, gateless. So the title, to me, is a little joke. It's always translated as the gateless gate. But you could think of it as gateless's gate. Uh, because that was the name of the monk. And he does little little commentaries at the end. And I I, I don't want to say I don't struggle with koans now, but I, I really struggled mightily with their uh, existence even, or their the tendency to offer them as practice. For many years, because I felt like they were sort of mean. Like the teacher is going, I know something you don't know. And then he hits you with a stick. <laughs> and that seemed uh, just really, you know, uh, sort of egotistical, and that was my, my feeling about them. So uh, I figured out the little joke that I play on myself now is I realize that if you read them as though, if you assume compassion on the part of the teacher, they, they have a playful quality if you come at them that way. It's a little conversation that's kind of joking around. And that, it's not, that is not necessarily true. I think it's, prob- it's likely that some of those students experienced pain in the conversation at the time. But thinking of them that way helps me tolerate looking at them. I don't get so hooked on how I feel like the teacher is being mean. So that's what I do. So uh, Mumon's uh, commentary on this particular koan is he calls it a puppet show, uh, which I really enjoy. It's, it's like uh, uh, Zuigan is like, you know, he's got a little, I imagine him with sock puppets <laughs> talking to himself. And so that's, that's what's happening uh, in that koan. And, and so I, the reason this, this koan came to my mind was I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and I came across a thread on, uh, uh, it was people complaining about how no one understands the play No Exit. And, uh, and in particular, the, the uneducated little people, um, as opposed to the, like, the last of tweeters, um, they uh, <laughs> they don't get it, you know, um, and so everybody always assumes that hell is other people. It's certainly when I thought about it before seeing the play, it it means that the problem is with those other people. It's not you. You're reasonable and delightful to be around, but the other people <laughs> are just really making your life difficult, and that's what that means to a lot of people. That's the initial response. And so the thread was about how 
um, you know, these, these poor uneducated masses don't understand that uh, it actually means that, well, if you haven't seen the play, so if you haven't seen the play, three people die and go to hell, and uh, when they get there, it's, it's, it's not what they expect. There is no uh, devil or pitchforks or pools of fire. It's just these three other people in a room. <laughs> and if you're an introvert like me, <laughs> that's what that's like. Um, so they slowly realize that you know, the other, each person experiences the other two people either behaving in a way that they find unsavory or not meeting them in the way that they should be met. And so it's, the, it's that disconnect that is difficult, um, that's hellish for people. And I think, um, the, you know, to be fair, the thread is probably correct if you read uh, the, the playwright's name is Jean-Paul Sartre and his own explanation probably aligns pretty well with, with that one. Um, so actually, I have a quote somewhere from an interview uh, late in his life, and um, it's from the 70s, I have written down. So the, the quote is, uh, hell is other people, that's only one side of the coin. The other side, which no one seems to mention, I want to point out here, he could have mentioned it at any time himself, uh, <laughs> but he didn't. The other side, which no one seems to mention, is heaven is each other. Hell is separateness, uncommunicability, self-centeredness, lust for power, for riches, for fame. Heaven, on the other hand, is very simple and very hard. It's caring about your fellow beings. And that's a, that's a pretty good summary of Bodhisattva work, right? which I, I find really interesting how many people have arrived at that, uh, at that model. So what he's saying is that if the, if the relationship is dysfunctional, if it is twisted or there's a power imbalance, uh, the people experience it as, uh, as hellish. Um, and on the other hand, if, if you can figure out how to care for other people, that's, that's heaven. And so uh, I hit upon a way of a sort of a metaphor for thinking about this the other day when I was driving. I mentioned the bizarre weather, and it was very foggy. And when I left my house, it wasn't, it wasn't terribly foggy. You know, so close by where I was familiar with everything, I felt like I could see pretty well. But as I drove, I was going to the grocery store. And it was very early, um, because I, hell is other people, and I, I like to go <laughs> to the store when there is less hell. And so it was really early, it was barely light, and um, as I got farther from my house, the fog got thicker, and at one point I, I drove into sort of a low spot in town, and it was honestly the thickest fog I have ever seen. And I was at a red light um, with some fellow sufferers, and uh, I could see the red lights, and I could see headlights across from me, but I really could not even make out the cars. And it was a little uh, scary, actually, because you know, I'm going to go driving into this where I can't see. And um, the, I think the per one of the people across from me, I think, was experiencing a similar feeling of fear. And they turned on their brights. <laughs> and then they turned them off again. 
um, because seeing was not just difficult but impossible with the brights on. And uh, I thought about uh, Dogen and the moon being reflected in the ocean and a stream and then a drop of dew on a blade of grass. Um, and I, I love that because it's uh, uh, I'm a clinical person, I, <laughs> I like things to be scientifically factual. And this is true if you look at a puddle or a drop of dew, there is a perfect reflection of the light hitting that body of water. And so this person's vision was, scientifically speaking, obscured by tiny reflections of their own vehicle. So they, they couldn't see because of their own vehicle. And this does not mean that other vehicles don't exist. Right, if another vehicle hits you, you're going to feel it. But it does mean that the situation affects you. There's, there's only one situation, and everyone is in it. Um, so when that other person turned on their brights, it obscured my vision as well. And so in, in our dealings with other people, uh, if your mind is turned up too much, your vehicle will obscure your vision and that of other people. And uh, I think that is what Suigan was talking about. That, like if this little puppet show, <laughs> like if you make the mistake of believing that there are people other than yourself, he's reminding himself not to be fooled by that. So, in the description on Twitter, it was a, sort of a one hand and other hand. On the one hand, hell is other people. And on the other hand, caring for other people is heaven. But actually something that the thread did not touch on is uh, that in Zen, there is a third hand, which uh, is non-dualism. And so when I, I find my mind caught in uh, one hand, other hand, I try to get into the habit of that jogging for me. I'm in a dualistic thinking, what's the third hand? And uh, so in Zen, the third hand, it's so hard to understand. And so, uh, again, I, I sort of hit on the fog as a, a little handle that you can stick on it. So the thing to remember is that fog is fundamentally, and without exception, the same as the blue sky. So when you look at the blue sky, what you're seeing is blue light reflected off of vapor. And so fog is the same. It is vapor. When you see clouds in the sky, it is the same vapor. And fog on the ground is just clouds on the ground. And in the same way, there is no such thing as a person other than yourself. 
So hell is, is just being in thick fog with your brights on. And heaven is seeing clearly in blue sky. But there is no difference. That's all I have to say. Any questions? Comments? This is a very powerful talk and statement. And I mull it over all the time about the absolute and the relative. And it's, you know, when you go across the street, you know, and walking in this world, it's very hard to, to um, include the absolute in, in the mundane thing. So, yeah. Thank you for your talk, but it's difficult. It's difficult. Have you ever tried leaving the absolute out? When I'm forgetful. It's not like no, no, there's no difference. There's no difference between remembering and forgetting in absolute terms. If you're, if you're ever able to leave the absolute out on purpose, I would love to hear how you do it. <laughs> so you don't, you don't need to include it. It's done. Over. The matter is settled. What's your name? Chris Locke. Okay, so often in Dharma talks, I get these feelings of like, oh, I get it, and then it goes away. And so... Is that kind of the same thing that the under, the feeling of understanding and the not understanding is the same? Yes. Very good. <laughs> I've experienced the same thing. Uh, uh, Reb Anderson, uh, the, the great way is easy for those who have no preferences, but alas, Reb is one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> and uh, I often had that feeling with him in the room listening, uh, I, I imagine that I understood. And it feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I often felt like I understood on the way home, you know, too. <laughs> Pretty much by the end of the day, just... <laughs> What's your name? Uh, Matt. Matt. Of course, I should have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> One of many. <laughs> Thank you for your talk. Um, my question is, if not understanding and understanding are the same, why bother? It's more pleasant to understand. Thank you. My name is Jenny. And I don't know how to ask this. So I'll just ask it. But... Um, Thank you for your talk, and I was very moved by um, how you started um, your talk. Um, Me too. As you're, yeah, I could, and I could feel it, and I'm witnessing that, and moved clearly. Um, and so, my question is something around if <laughs> there is no other, and yet you're speaking to people who are suffering from unjust actions of others. I don't know. <laughs> how do you how do you be in that? 
And how do you relate to what in my mind continues to be other? I mean, sort of the people who are making decisions who affect others, just... When you notice that arise in yourself, the, the belief in the other, when you notice it, what's your response? Um, when I notice that I'm seeing other, uh, well, I just feel, I feel this, I feel a block. Do you put it up yourself? Probably. That block is not other than yourself. So, although it's difficult, extend your compassion to the part of yourself that is putting up the block. Start there. It's sort of like uh, when I left the house and there was only a little bit of fog. So, um, it's quite difficult to practice um, in the fog with your brights on. So start closer to the house where you can see. I was just thinking about the the two sides and that story about uh, you know hungry ghosts are starving in the, in hell because there's all this food and there are these enormously long chopsticks and they can't get the food to their to their own mouths and then they figure out that if they feed each other across mm-hmm. the table, mm-hmm. everyone can be satisfied. Mm-hmm. So that's some kind of parable that I think relates to what you're talking that about. That is the only answer, it turns out. True. Now there's an actual hand that's up on Zoom. <laughs> okay. Eric. Oh, yes, Eric. I know you, Eric. Steve, it's nice to see you. Um, thank you for giving this Dharma talk. I just wanted to ask, what about the leaping clear of the one and the many? We talked about the absolute and relative, but what about the what you know? Dogen talks about leaping clear. What about the idea of leaping clear. What does that mean to you? I don't I I don't like the word leaping and I, I should I should look up and see what the character actually is. Well, no, it can be purposeful. It feels uh like um my experience of it is like flipping or um turning your head or I think it just happens naturally. I don't think I've ever had the experience of reading something and understanding. It's more like I will read something and think to myself, oh, that's a description of something that I remember happening. And that's what I mean about the leaping on purpose. It makes it sound as though you can jump to another place. And that is not, it's impossible to describe. And I will have a complaint about every description. If you practice diligently, you will not be able to prevent 
finding yourself in that place? year after year thoroughly uh, practicing with my delusions, thoroughly immersed in delusion. So thank you for helping a little bit of evaporation in this moment. In your experience, in your scientific experience, does water ever leave the system? again. For me. For the whole world. It rains on the just and unjust alike, my father's fond of saying. Wonderful talk, thank you. We gave the bumper sticker onward to see the fog. Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, I love that one. There's no choice. Just uh, don't turn your mind up too much. You know, try not to. If you notice your mind is turned up too much, turn off your breath. My name's Elliot. Elliot. In that moment, when you're at the stoplight and the person across from you has their brights on, and no one can see. If they don't notice, what is the skillful response, what's the compassionate response? Pull over and wait for it to pass. Thank you. It's a common occurrence. So, fog lights are skillful means. <laughs> Precisely so, and regular lights, you know, I don't mean to disparage them, you need them in the dark. There's nothing wrong with turning on your lights. Jess? Um, hello. <laughs> Thinking about, um, you know, fog and, and blue sky, um, in my practice, there have been times, and I think it's like over really over my life, I have this idea that clarity is like the thing, mm-hmm. right? Like some sort of like goal, and that delusion or fogginess is um, not and something that I want to shed. So, thinking about the sort of metaphor, if I was in Scotland on like rolling hills on a foggy day and just like taking a walk and I wasn't in a vehicle and nobody had their brights on I would probably find it very enjoyable you know Mm -hmm. like maybe even more enjoyable than um, a clear blue sky where nobody can get hurt yeah sounds great Yeah, I think that's a good, um, you know, there's the practical. You can't go driving down the street in deep fog with your brights on mm-hmm. in a crash. But maybe uh, if you can find a safe place 
around other people who are moving slowly. It's like part of the human experience, you know. Yes. Fundamentally so. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe it should have been Zoom one more time. Is that enough? Too much? 